be with you today, even if we are social distancing and we are in our homes and I'm coming to you today from my home where I'm here with my daughter and my husband hunkered down just like the rest of you. So we decided we would try something new and come to you live here from YouTube and do the podcast live. And there's so much to talk about. I, I don't even know where to begin. We're going to have a few glitches and I hope you can just bear with me and I would love to either answer your calls or your messages while we're here um, live uh, from, well, the outer reaches of the swamp, that's what I call it, uh, here in beautiful Virginia. So I just wanna hear what's happening with you. I have been on Facebook a lot in the last uh, couple of days talking to folks from Michigan, Louisiana, Idaho, uh, New York City, everyone is sending me messages telling me how they're dealing with the coronavirus uh, crisis right now in the United States. And what's next? I mean, we've been asked to stay in our homes, to, to abide by social distancing. Um, the numbers are increasing of people that are actually uh, contracting the virus exponentially. It appears in some areas, particularly in California and New York, my heart goes out to you. My, you know, I'm originally from California. Uh, it's, it's terrible what's happening in the state of California and how people are handling that. Also in New York City, my heart goes out to you too. I mean, this is a really terrible time for all of us. And we're all dealing with this uh, in our own way. And I, you know, I'm going over some numbers here. Jenny is in Houston with her family. You know, Jenny Tear. She writes on sarahcarter.com. So please keep up with our latest stories there at sarahcarter.com. We're doing our best to try to inform the public about what's going on here. Also, Adam is at home too. Um, we're all remote. We have a very, hi, Adam. Hi, Sarah. You're doing great over here. I can't see Jenny right now, but we definitely can see Adam. I just want everyone to know that Jenny is out there oh, yeah. and she's watching. She's going to be on the air here in about two seconds. She'll be ready to talk to you guys, too. So the whole crew is here. Don't worry, folks. Great, great, because that's important. I want everyone to know it's hard for, for all of us. Um, as you know, I'm a small business owner. Adam is a small business owner, even though I contract with Fox News which I love and I feel like it's a family to me. Um, I'm still a you know, contributor and I'm a contractor. So that it's all, we're all in this together. You know, my husband's been asked to stay home from work. Um, it's been hard on him. Uh, he's blind. So of course, you know, when he's with his guide dog, uh, Kenny can guide him around, but he uses his hands a lot to touch things, to know where things are. Um, and so think about that, you know, for him being out, uh, he could easily pick up any kind of virus. Like if he's touching a tabletop or something that hasn't been cleaned and especially with the coronavirus, this is something, um, that I, I called it on the Steve Hilton show, uh, last night. I hope you all had a chance to watch that. Um, Steve Hilton is wonderful. He's, he's truly, uh, a, a brilliant man and how to, really important show because it dealt with our economy. Charlie Kirk was on the show and so was Lisa Booth. It was an, a show that focused on what are we doing now and what's gonna happen at the end of this 15 day mark. I believe we're in day seven. Am I right about that, Adam? I'm gonna on fact check that. I think it's eight. Mark. I think it's eight. Yeah, so we're you know almost halfway through it and what's going to happen to our country we've seen the numbers soar as far as unemployment uh we don't know a lot about this virus remember there's still a lot we don't know the numbers are very skewed coming i don't trust the numbers from china one bit i don't trust the numbers from iran actually one bit we've seen evidence of crematoriums of mass graves uh we also don't have the numbers of people who have, for example, really tested positive, but aren't showing any signs or symptoms of anything. They're, they may be carriers, 
but they may be asymptomatic. That could actually change the numbers um, on a national scale. There have been some concern that the statistics that we're getting are not valid statistics. And this isn't just me, and it's not just people on the internet, it's people at Stanford University, people uh, in medical institutions across the globe that are questioning some of these numbers. There's also a lot of concern right now, and I'm especially concerned about this, uh, where we're seeing a rise in younger people uh, being hospitalized with uh, coronavirus, and some of them very severe. There's a report of a 12-year-old girl in Georgia who is battling for her life right now uh, with coronavirus, and she has no underlying symptoms that would have made her more susceptible to the virus. So it appears that the virus uh, in her is uh, what is causing all of the complications, and she's in the ICU. And I pray that everyone just prays for this poor child in Georgia and for everybody else across this country who's battling this virus. But we need to have facts. We need to know what's going on. And that's what's important for me. Also, the national security implications of this on our economy. This is huge. Because when we think about this, and we have to think about the scale of this, what will this pandemic do to our nation, to our global economy as well in the next, you know, coming months? I mean, how long can people actually be hunkered down, right? Uh, on Steve Hilton's show the other night, we talked about this. I specifically stated, you know, that this is what national security experts describe as a black swan event. It's an event that comes out of left field totally unsuspected, that turns everything upside down, that changes the way we operate, that actually changes our society entirely. Um, and that's what this is. This is a black swan event, and it's very frightening because we don't know how it's gonna play out. First of all, we do know that people are gonna die, and that's horrific enough. Even one person dying from this is, is terrifying. Um, but we also know that you know, people do get sick, people do die. That's what we are, we're human beings, we're, we're mortal, uh, we're susceptible to viruses. I've traveled all over the world and I've, you know, experienced what it's like for people that live in conditions where they don't have access to medical care. It's, it's tragic and it's terrible. But we also have to think about the national security implications of our economy being ripped apart, turned upside down. How will our you know, enemy actors in other nations? How will other nation states take advantage of this? How will we handle this as a nation? What does it mean to have social distancing? And maybe to continue in areas where people can go to work and can go to restaurants, you know, uh, at the end of this 15 day mark, where they're not seeing cases as high as we're seeing in New York or California. No, I'm not a doctor. I'm not suggesting that you do anything. <laughs> against what is being recommended by the administration right now. I think we really need to listen to medical professionals, but I also think we need to ask questions. We need to have a better understanding of where this is going, because for a lot of us, we don't. And the majority of people are asking me questions every day. They're saying, what's happening here? How long is this gonna last? What's going on? Well, we, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out those answers too. How how powerful is this virus? Is, is Do we know everything about it? Let me give you an example. I was on the phone yesterday with a man by the name of Mirko. He is uh, one of the provincial council members in charge of handling the coronavirus in Toronto, Italy. It's a right on the border of Lombardy, uh, the province of Lombardy, which everybody knows has been the worst hit province in Italy uh, with the virus. Death tolls skyrocketing for them there, particularly with their elderly and people with underlying conditions. He was saying that, you know, they had basically acted too late. That was his warning. We didn't shut things down early enough. We acted too late. Uh, the government did. In a sense, the Italian government got no assistance from the European Union uh, to uh, for ventilators, for medical gear. Uh, there's a big debate now in, I mean, especially in Italy, what is the government doing? They, you know, a lot of people say it's a leftist government, but that the European Union basically abandoned Italy. 
And what we're seeing right now is the Chinese and the Russians have come in, offered doctors, offered assistance, because the Italian government has basically had this divide with the European Union. So here we see actors like China, who, I mean, this is where the virus emanated from. The virus emanated from someplace in Wuhan province. We know this, this is a fact. And now the Chinese are trying to play, even though they've hidden everything from us, even though they've removed all foreign reporting from China, they're trying to say that they have no cases right now. They're trying to say they have no cases right now of, of, of the coronavirus. I don't believe that. But the, and they've removed all foreign reporters from reporting the truth. And basically, Chinese journalists have disappeared. They've just disappeared. They, 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 we don't know where they are. Citizen journalists that were trying to report the truth, they're, we, we can't find them. The people that I was retweeting on Twitter, gone. We don't know where they're at. And now the Chinese are trying to play the good guy in Italy, saying, okay, well, we're gonna send some doctors. We're, you know, the Russians are sending doctors, they're trying to build some relationship with the Italians to fill in that void when the Italians felt abandoned by the abandoned by the European Union. We have to be very careful with how enemy actors are going to behave. It's the reason why, and let me give you guys some numbers, and I'm gonna just read from the trusty notes I have right here. And remember, these numbers are changing all the time. They're changing all the time. Let me give you some numbers. Um, worldwide, right now, what we have is uh, 349,211 confirmed cases, which, I mean, remember, these numbers are all over the place. They haven't tested everybody in the world. So these are confirmed cases of what has been tested. Uh, 15,308 deaths. In the United States right now, um, we have 35,224 confirmed cases of coronavirus and 471 deaths. It's pretty, pretty sad. Right now, we got a COVID bill in the Senate, which we know right now, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Chuck Schumer, they're refusing to take any action on this is a big political battle. So it appears that they really don't care. They really don't care. Americans are gonna be losing jobs. Um, the US has the third highest number of cases of coronavirus right now worldwide. And remember the president shut off the flights coming out of China. And when he was shut off, when he shut off those flights, do you remember what the media was saying? They came after President Trump. They said he was you know, a racist, that he was shutting down these flights unnecessarily. No, he took action right away. He had a gut feeling. He was being informed by, you know, his intelligence apparatus. Look, there is something in China going on that is really dangerous. We need to take action now. And he took that action. He was decisive and he has been decisive throughout this entire event. But remember, like I said earlier, this is a black swan event. This is an unexpected event. And handling this, is gonna require everybody's input, and particularly in the administration. And President Trump has acted on it immediately. I've never expected to having dealt with this, to having dealt with uh, a virus, a pandemic that is so prolific. But I also have to ask the questions, and it's the same questions you have. You know, first they told us it was only the elderly and people with immune deficiency problems or who have a, a, a who are at high risk, people with cancer, people with AIDS, uh, leukemia, any kind of disease that would lower their immunity system. Now we're hearing there's more young people that we're seeing more, uh, you know, people in their mid 30s, in their 40s, in their early 50s, in their 20s, even some people as young as 12 years old or younger, you know, who are battling this illness. So I've got to ask myself, well, what's going on here is I don't know. I mean, I haven't had, there hasn't been a direct answer to this. Sarah, and I, Sarah, you know. Sarah, we've got actually a great note from our social media lounge, the people who are watching along with us, at Trauma Mama 3 says that ARDS acute respiratory distress syndrome is probably what the younger people develop from a cytokine or cytokine storm. It causes the lungs to fill up with fluid, requires ventilator support. Let me tell you, it's, yeah, it's pretty terrible because when I, my daughter, Sophia, she's, 
She's now 20. She's beautiful. I love her so much and miss her. Um, she has hunkered down now, you know, in college. But uh, so when she was about one month old, uh, Sophia contracted the RSV virus and it attacked her lungs. And it was a horrible time in my life. I remember uh, how sick she was. She was so she was so small and she was compromised. And um, because she was, you know, we had a, di I had a difficult birth with her. She was compromised. And all of a sudden she contracted this virus, which was like a normal cold in the child that lived next door to us. But for her as a small baby, it almost meant her life. Uh, they had to take her, we had to take her uh, to the hospital immediately. Uh, they put her um, you know, on ventilators. They, they were watching her day and night. I remember they had actually told me that there was a helicopter on call, and I was in California at the time, Loma Linda Hospital, which is an incredible hospital in California, um, actually had a helicopter on call in case it got worse. And thankfully, it didn't. Um, Sophia, as a baby, was able to battle through it uh, in five days. So I understand how parents out there feel and how scary this can be for so many people, for so many people across the country that it's, you know, you're thinking, oh, could it be me? Could it be my kid? Could it be my parents? You know, we just got to follow the rules and social distancing. Um, I don't even know <laughs> if that word, a lot of people say it annoys them now, but I guess, you know, keeping six feet apart is the recommendation, you know, from strangers. And if you're sick or if you're elderly to not uh, go into any place, public place, you know, find someone who can help out with bringing groceries home. Uh, try to keep your loved ones as safe as possible. But like I said, I'm still, I'm still thinking about how we are handling this as a nation and what this means for, for us, particularly with our economy and what's going to happen in the next few months. I guess we just have to take this one day at a time. I don't know, Adam, if there's anybody else out there asking questions. I'm trying to watch. Oh, absolutely. The here. No, people are all uh, inside of our social media lounge. Some are saying, uh, well, let's go to Ann Drabeck, who says, I wonder about those who vape, if they're more susceptible. What do you think, Sarah? Any any knowledge there? Any thoughts? Well, no. I, I mean, look, I, they say smokers are at a higher risk. They say smokers are... Oh, wait, and I just got a message from my daughter, Sophia, popped up. She did send me a text. Oh, wow. She says she's watching me right now. Hi, Sophia. From the living room. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's nice to know that my family's watching. I didn't know she was going to be doing that. She's probably just hunkered down, it's, and it's, I, I didn't even I didn't even bother her with it. It's your family and a whole lot more people. Trying to catch up on schoolwork. We've got a whole um, but as far as smoking and vaping, I think there is uh, probably significant information out there. I talked to a doctor, Dr. Osqui, who spoke about um, smoking. So I, I'm not going to be an authority, uh, an authority on vaping. I, I will ask those questions, I promise. Um, but as far as smokers are concerned, yes, this, this definitely affects the lungs. And so if you have a lower capacity lung capacity, it could be potentially a huge problem uh, if Sarah, you contract the coronavirus, and especially if you have underlying conditions. Sarah, I was listening to someone talk about how they have a brother who's in a hospital. I think, whatever, everybody can benefit from this. Basically what they're saying is they did they were able to do some autopsies from people who have died in China now. They're at that point, and mucus is hardening in the lungs, and then they... It, won't let you get medicine to the lungs and that's what's happening so they're saying if you can drink any kind of hot liquid every 20 minutes or so uh it's really helpful for anybody who's, who's listening right now oh well that's interesting i mean that's something i'll definitely take a look at i you know one of the things that really was frightening to me uh and one of the things that i think is frightening to most people was the crematoriums and the number of people that maybe we don't know the and we and I know we don't we don't have the numbers out of China, uh, but the large number of people that were actually being cremated, uh, so you know without all the accurate numbers and without those numbers and without having the doctors that we trust and scientists that we trust in China as well as Iran, 
I mean, we're kind of at a loss right now for that. Um, we know we're seeing a resurgence in Hong Kong right now. Hong Kong seemed to have the coronavirus under control. And now there's a resurgence again in Hong Kong. That's something to be very mindful of. Uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions here, folks. And so I will do my best to get you those answers. We have a guest on today, somebody who I admire so much, and I know he'll be coming on with us shortly, and hopefully all of the technical aspects of this will work, but it's Daniel Hoffman, and he is a great friend and a good man. Um, he worked at the CIA. He is uh, was in Moscow. He was in Pakistan. He really understands our national security apparatus. He understands what's going on here. He is an advisor as well to the administration. He uh, is somebody I trust wholeheartedly, and he's going to be able to explain everything China. He is going to be able to explain what's going on there, what are the risks for us, what does this mean, this black swan event of coronavirus, what are we facing as a nation. Uh, we're going to try to get a lot of those answers from him on the national security side. And, you know, he knows, He like me, he has young children. I, I also have a seven-year-old who is downstairs with her dad right now doing homework. So she may interrupt us in a little bit, or, or maybe her dad will walk in the door. Um, he also has young children um, who are home, and he has an amazingly beautiful wife, you know, who is going through her own medical battles. And he's going to, you know, Daniel's going to be talking about that and how serious this is and why for him, you know, this is so personal, uh, the coronavirus. So that's something that I saw we had a little moment of freezing right there, but um, that's what that's what we're going to be discussing with him. Adam, do we have any more questions out there? I think we've got time for one more. JRT or Junior T really wants to talk about the fact that this is an insurance policy against Trump. Do you have a quick minute on that? Look, there. this is, we don't know what's happening here. We do know, uh, as far as like, I'm talking on the Democrat side, could they be taking advantage of this uh, pandemic uh, for their own purposes? Yeah, I believe that that's actually what they're doing. And um, they're going to push for whatever they can get. And there's a lot of people out there that have absolutely no love, and we know this, for President Trump. You know, the the last four years uncovering the Russia investigation, and now on top of it, waiting for answers from the Justice Department, right? Uh, will there be indictments? Will John Durham actually indict people that attempted, and, and this is not just my opinion, this is based on facts on what we've been able to read in both text messages in the FBI, uh, emails that have been obtained uh, by just by Congress, by us as investigative reporters, uh, and by Michael Horowitz, the inspector general. The, the fact that they targeted President Trump with an attempt to remove him from office is something that I never thought we'd see in modern political history, not from our own nation. I never believed that they would use the tools and weaponize the tools of our system to target a duly elected president of the United States. But over the last four years, working on those stories, and of course, reporting them on Sean Hannity's show every single night. I mean, Sean was there. He was, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have gotten the story out to the country. So I just have to say that without Sean, these stories would have not made it out past our websites. But Congress was able to pick up on it. Congress was able to investigate. The DOJ has been able to investigate. So would they use this pandemic? Do they want to see President Trump removed from office? Are there people out there who are cheering that this economy finally one of the greatest economies we've seen since probably the 1920s in the United States is now totally ripped apart. Yeah, I think there are people out there doing that. And that actually, that worries me. And uh, so we do, we have to stick together as Americans. Uh, we have to pray for this administration, pray for this president that we get through this, pray for each other. We really have to stick together on this. We can't 
be ripped apart. Um, and I say that whether you're Democrat, Republican, I mean, we can't wish the worst because if we wish the worst on this administration, we're wishing the worst on ourselves. And that's it. It's about as good as it gets right there, folks. Yeah. All right, we've got our guest who's ready to go standing by. Sarah, are you ready to talk to Mr. Hoffman? Oh, I'm always ready to talk to Daniel Hoffman. All right, we'll go to a quick break, folks. Just hang with us for about 30 seconds. We'll get Mr. Hoffman on the air here, and we will get with you guys in a second. Stay right there. Don't go anywhere. All right, we've got everybody here. Sarah, you are on the line with Daniel Hoffman. Hey, Daniel. So you're down too, right? Yeah, it's great to see you. We've been in a lot of places together and uh, never in my wildest imagination could I have ever you know, considered the possibility that we'd be hunkered down in our homes amidst a, a coronavirus pandemic. But uh, I, here we are. Yeah, I feel the same way, Daniel. Uh, I Just so everybody out there knows, Daniel and I, we traveled to Singapore together. We've, you know, we've, we've been actually very close since we started doing Sean Hannity's show together. And then Daniel came on as a contributor for Fox News. Uh, I, I'd love for you to tell uh, the folks out there just a little bit about your background, Daniel. I, I went over it, but I can't brag about you enough huh. and what you've done for our country. And the work that you've done is incredible. But I, I think coming from you, it would be better. Oh, that's really kind of you to say that. It's it's really my honor and pleasure to, to join you. And uh, you're the one of those journalists I hold in the highest regard. I've learned a lot more from you, I guarantee you, than you'll ever learn from me. But uh, just for the, for the listeners out there, I, I served uh, about 30 years at CIA, uh, served a couple of years in Pakistan and Iraq. I served in Russia, two tours, five years total. Uh, spent, you know, three years in, in uh, war zones, uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, tough places. In some ways, being home now, homeschooling my kids is uh, as challenging as anything I've ever done. Oh. I've been retired for, for three years, and, uh, and uh, you know, I'm a Fox News contributor. I do a, a column for The Washington Times, um, and uh, I've enjoyed the extra time that I've had to spend with, uh, with my family. I'll tell you that the thing about my background that I found so interesting, you know, um, we at CIA have something we call covert communication. It's when we want to contact a source and have a private discussion with that source when we're not always able to get out there and actually see the person. And so we're not socially distancing ourselves. We're physically distancing ourselves. And and sitting here right now, I'm kind of imagining my old world of, uh, of covert communication where we're relying on on technology to, to interface with each other. We're doing anything but socially distancing. We are physically distancing. And there's a real distinction there that I think sometimes our media fails to, to grasp. That's true, because I've been very confused about the whole, you know, some people say, oh, the word's so annoying to me, social distancing, or I don't really understand what that means. Uh, for everybody, it means something different. And I think, Daniel, people are really worried out there, like me, I'm just a regular Joe like everyone else. We don't know where this is going. People are really scared of the unknown and China being one of them. I want to play a clip really quick of uh, President Trump uh, talking about China, and then I want to get your take on it. Could you play that, Adam? The first clip. Yes, friend, I wish, again, our relationship with China is a very good relationship. I wish they told us three months sooner that this was a problem. We didn't know about it. They knew about it, and they should have told us. We could have saved a lot of lives throughout the world. If you look at what's happening in Italy and Spain and a lot of other countries, we could have saved a lot of lives throughout the world. Pretty daunting when you think about how little we understood about this from the very beginning and what China was withholding from the world and what China is continuing to do. Can you talk a little bit about why you think the Chinese government was so reluctant and what this means in terms of a threat, not just with the pandemic, but with an economic threat to both our nation and the rest of the globe? Yeah, sure. But first, I do want to address what you said at the top about people being nervous and concerned. I completely share that, you know, and um, when I look back at, at the years I spent in overseas war zones, I think what I learned was just focus on what you can control. 
And here, right now, it's about eating right. It's getting some exercise, sleeping well if you can. Um, have a plan for urgent care if you need it. And that's it. Take care of your family. The big stuff, you know, it's interesting for us to talk about it. But at the end of the day, our politicians, uh, you know, sometimes they do a great job. and Sometimes they don't. But they've got it. And we don't necessarily control exactly how that is all going to shake out and all our medical professionals hard at work. But we can control what we can control in our own, literally in our own houses. Um, as far as China is concerned, I've likened this to like China's Chernobyl. You know, I was in, in London in 1986 during the Chernobyl acts, worst nuclear accident in the history of the world. And what we're seeing today from China is the same thing we saw way back then, uh, obsequious apparatchiks who don't want to tell the truth out of fear for recrimination from Xi Jinping, an opaque Chinese bureaucracy, and most of all, a Chinese government that relies on state pop propaganda to control their own citizens. So the world was collateral damage, essentially. Xi Jinping, the last thing he wanted to do was to reveal to his own citizens that there was a pandemic on its way. And so they withheld information, even though the, the virus began to spread in December, uh, they didn't announce any um, national emergency until mid-January. And, and that was, you know, obviously a major, major issue that the Chinese absolutely failed. Could you imagine if the United States or a Western European democracy had done that, inflicted that much pain in the world, the, the, what we would be in store for? I mean, imagine that. Well, and not only that, Daniel, but imagine uh, how the people within our own nations would have reacted to that, to our government doing that. What do you think happens in China when you think about the enormity of, uh, uh, of the magnitude of this, when actually people believe that the numbers are significantly higher, the deaths are significantly higher. There has been talk that there were crematoriums, there were yeah. reports coming out of Japan of a dark rain. Uh, you know, it, it's there's, I. Right now, there's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that the Chinese have not been forthcoming. The Chinese government has right. not been forthcoming. So what's happening, do you think, inside Xi Jinping's own nation? I mean, the people have to be realizing at some point or another that this government or maybe or maybe not. I mean, maybe they're maybe they're so used to being controlled under a communist government that this is that this is just another set of controls with the propaganda that they've pushed out. I, I look, everything China's told us going back to the very beginning has been full of lies. And so anyone who wants to believe that the Chinese have somehow solved this, which is what they're telling the world, I, I'm in a very deeply mistrust and verify that. And it's hard for us because we don't have all the people we would normally have at our embassy and China's kicked out our journalists because that's what scares them. The reason why, you know, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin are such good buddies is because the same thing scares them, democracy. And Xi Jinping knows that when you've got an internal crisis like the one he's facing right now, uh, that could tear down his country. His people have lost faith, many of them, in the government's ability to take care of them at the most basic level because the government is concealing the truth. And that's why the question, I think, for our China watchers, I know it in the intelligence community, is going forward months, years from now, do Chinese, the ones who were protesting in Tiananmen Square, the brave guy, remember, standing in front of the tank, yeah. those sorts of people look at this and say, this brittle Chinese ruthless dictatorship is not for us, is not looking out for the best interests of our people, and maybe they stand up and do something about it. That's what scares China. Really, it does. And what, but what scared me, and bringing it back to our country, is the fact that once this outbreak came out, once we realized we were in this predicament, and once the Chinese started issuing all of their propaganda statements and trying to say that the United States was the beginning of this virus, that this was the U.S.'s fault, that we planted this virus, all of this propaganda. But then when you come to realize that over 90% of our antibiotics and painkillers are manufactured in China, I mean, that's a huge national security problem because that directly affects the lives of everyday Americans. There could be secondary infections from the coronavirus that would require antibiotics. And now all of a sudden China's in control of that. How how did this happen? And as I mean, as a national security expert, what do you think needs to be done? What would you advise the administration? 
I mean, the world is certainly, you know, so small, so flat, so interconnected. And you're absolutely right. When it comes to technology, you know, 5G, we got to do that ourselves, unless we want big brother China stealing all our secrets through Huawei. When it comes to medicine uh, and other key technological um, and other equipment that really is important for our national security, we need to own those supply chains. And so I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's a lesson that we need to take to heart after the coronavirus, um, you know, the crisis abates. One country that did take it to heart is Taiwan on China's uh, China's neighbor. Taiwan has almost a million of its citizens living in mainland China. Uh, but they learned from SARS when China concealed the outbreak of that uh, epidemic, which caused almost 100 deaths in, in Taiwan. The Taiwan, uh, their current vice president, Chen, was the minister of health at the time. And he knew that he needed to take a lot of those steps. And getting to your point, China, Taiwan did not send any of these important medical devices, no masks, no ventilators, nothing overseas. All they sent were their own people to Wuhan to collect on the virus in December, bring back whatever information they could collect. They've said that the Chinese weren't helpful at all, but they learned some things. They made 124 key decisions, key points that they shared with their people. And thus far, they have less than 200 cases and two deaths. So well, that's I think incredible. that's a good lesson for us to learn from a, an ally literally on the front lines dealing with a ruthless neighbor like China. Well, and th this is the thing about this virus. We really feel like we don't understand it. I mean, I think publicly we hear our medical professionals, we hear the administration talk about it. Uh, every day doing, I think, what is so important, informing the public every day, uh, the Corona Task Force, so that people are aware of what's going on. But as far as the virus is concerned, I feel like it's kind of a mystery for everyone. And I see that when people write, like they're saying, well, if it, if it affects people with low immune systems or the elderly, uh, shouldn't we put those people in isolation? Uh, they're concerned about losing their jobs. They're concerned about the economy. So I keep saying this is a black swan event. This is an event that came at us sideways. Uh, what, what would be your answer? I mean, if you were sitting here, we were analyzing this together. What steps, what do we need to do to move forward? What are those key lessons that maybe Taiwan uh, that we've learned from Italy, from our ally in Italy, and and how they have suffered so tremendously from this virus. What are those lessons learned that we can take forward and maybe have yeah. some? I mean, I I think you know this is globalization. You can't stop it. When something bad happens far away, whatever it might be, if it's terrorists plotting to kill us in Afghanistan, which is why I've always said we need to have some people there, not building girls' schools, but hunting down terrorists and, uh, if needed, taking lethal action against us, against them so that they can't plot against us here. Or it's a pandemic, a risk of a pandemic. We need to be collecting on that uh, with our health professionals and our intelligence community because the Chinese have been hiding this. So that's an intelligence collection requirement, understanding what China's doing or not doing. Um, and obviously that's of, of tremendous, tremendous concern um, going forward. I mean, we have talked about the possibility of, of biological weapons or pandemics and, uh, and being prepared to deal with it. For me, there's, a, there's an issue here with the economy and with healthcare. Obviously, our economy is being shut down right now, and we're going to reach a tipping point where we got to get people back to work and take the health risks of doing so. We're not there right now. We need to save people. We need to understand what flattening the curve means, staggering the number of cases over a longer period of time. What bothers me in particular, and I don't want to sound like some old, you know, crusty man here, but <laughs> millennials are the ones, getting back to what I said at the beginning, they got the most sophisticated, regular use of social media. Use it. You people, they love to get on their phones and text each other and phone each other. That's what you got to do. For the sake of all the people who are at risk, from this virus. My wife's one of them. She's been battling cancer for three years. So my two boys and I are ruthless about making sure that we don't become carriers, even though, you know, we're not in a high risk category, arguably, but we still don't want to get it. Um, right. I don't want older people in my neighborhood to get it. And so if you want to flatten the curve, millennials, do your part. You've been given a lot growing up in the United States. Now's your turn to give back. We're not asking you to grab a rifle and go, you know, fight the battle of the bulge like our grandparents did. Mine did. You know, my I got family members who fought in World War One and World War Two and Korea. Um, 
they did their patriotic duty. All we're asking is stay home. Stay home so medical professionals can do their jobs for now. And you're right, it's hard because there aren't as many known facts about the virus. But what we do know is we got to avoid touching each other and staying close to each other um, and, and emphasizing physical uh, distancing while we learn more about it and knowing that our health professionals, Dr. Fauci and his team and others, are doing the best that they can to find a way, um, a way out of this with a, with a vaccine. Um, and, you know, while that goes on, we just have to do our part. I think that you brought up so many good points because I live in a neighborhood too where there are I have two neighbors who are very elderly and we send them text messages and say hey are you guys okay do you need anything do you want us to run down to the grocery store for you no we're fine you know we'll let you know thank you for checking in on us and you know we're just making sure that our neighbors are okay but that we're not get putting them at risk for any reason whatsoever. I mean, I I tell you it's it's frightening when you read stories Daniel that young people are actually getting this virus and some of them are actually struggling for their lives. These are people without any underlying conditions. Um, there's a 12-year-old girl I talked at the top of the show in Georgia who is fighting for her life. Uh, there are other young people uh, who appear to have no underlying conditions and are struggling to, to survive uh, in the hospitals, in the ICU units. So that was interesting to me. So that makes me wonder do we have all the right statistics on this virus? Do we really know enough about it? Is does that at all worry you, or it? It does. Really, we're you seeing know, a, an increase yeah. too. I mean, in my old world at CIA, where I served for three decades, I was used to never getting the full picture. We we, we always strove for a three hundred and sixty degree optic on the hard challenges, but you never get to a hundred percent perfect information. Was bin Laden in Abbottabad? Well, we were somewhere between 50% and some people in the 90s. But mm -hmm. we could never prove that he was there. And, and, and so in the case of this virus, it's an element. Look, it's a science and it's also an art trying to figure out what it is and trying to figure out a way to deal with it. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, we, the science is going to have to catch up and determine what it is. What it was in China might not be what it is in Italy. And what it is in Italy might not be what it is in New York. And New York might be different than Washington State and Washington, D.C., where we are. So there's just a lot of unknowns, as you said, and that's hard for all of us. Again, it gets back to what I said about, for now, we got to just focus on what we can control. I know I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm just let them do their job. I'm going to do my job, which is stay at home and not cause any more uh, problems for the health community by getting myself sick. Okay. I'm going to stay home and stay healthy and let them do their job. The last thing I want to have to do is, is you know, contribute to the challenge that our already overheated healthcare system is facing. So, but I think in the coming days, you know, hopefully no longer than weeks, we're going to get the answers you're talking about. That is key. Oh, I think it's key too, because I just don't know how an economy um, right now, and I think lives are so much more important, of course, than than anything else. So like, and I, I want you to, you know, talk about because for you, it's very personal. I mean, this is about your wife, the mother of your children. You are going to do everything in your power. I know you to protect her. I, I, you guys can't imagine out there how much this man talks about his wife and how much he loves her and his children. He is like, I, I think, number one dad and husband out there. In oh, the world. no, I'm giving that to your husband. But <laughs> let me, I'll tell you, if, uh, if the listeners too. are interested, uh, you know, my wife uh, was going through her first liver resection surgery a year or so ago, and I wrote an op-ed for Fox, and you can look it up, Dan Hoffman. If you just search Dan Hoffman, CIA, and wife, you'll see it. And since then, she went through another liver resection, which we thought eliminated the cancer in her body. But she's got one tumor, and it's near her bile duct, so she needs a stent, and they need to ablate the tumor, which means, like, radiate it. Uh, and so she's going in on 26 March. Like, it is not elective surgery. So if you can imagine, we're trying to figure out, like, how to get her in. Are they going to let me in? What do I do with my kids? It's uh, tough enough to fight cancer, tougher when you're dealing with the coronavirus. And so um, I am very, it is a very, you know, additionally challenging for our family. Um, and uh, like I said, you know, going back to my old career, sometimes I think dodging, you know, Katusha rockets in Baghdad is easier than getting my wife into, you know, into the, into the hospital for her uh, for her surgery, which these brave, um, you know, the oncology team, such brave 
uh, medical professionals are they're going to go ahead and do it, you know, and God bless them. I mean, it's uh, it's tough. And my wife, I, I wrote in that op-ed, toughest person I know. I served with a lot of, you know, tough military guys and CIA and others uh, overseas. And um, but uh, man, my wife's the toughest person I know, especially right now. You know, she's loving on our kids. She's she's taking over right now, homeschooling them while I'm with you. And uh, if you met her and talked to her, you just flat out wouldn't know what she's going through. She's just uh, an amazing person. Yeah, she really is an incredible human being. Every time you talk to me about your wife, I'm I'm thinking like that's that's somebody I want. If I'm going to emulate someone, it's going to be somebody like that. And you know, it's the same thing like I say with my husband or anybody that's going through something, struggling in their life with either a disability or an illness that fights back and wants to live and loves their family and does whatever they can. And I think that's such an important point for us right now as a nation. You. You know, you said it so well, Dan. Uh, we have to work together to combat this. We have to work together to pull through this. And I know there's so many people out there that are frustrated, that are worried, uh, that may not have a job tomorrow. There are people out there that are really terrified of what the future holds. But I think you brought up a great point. We have to do this one day at a time and we have to count on each other. So. You know, if you have a neighbor, if you have a friend, if you have a family member, you know, go out there, reach out to them, talk to them, let them help you lift you up, right? You know, if, if you're having a hard time with this, that's what you can do. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a time for reflection, you know. Um, I look back at my CIA career we talked about, I'll tell you what the greatest thing I ever did was walk in and get fitted for disguise on the particular day that my wife was coming to do my disguise. My wife was a disguise I was going to bring that up, but I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, well, you know, she, about it. This if is the listeners, I'm sure many of them, uh, many of you folks, you know, watch the Americans or Mission Impossible. You know, we met John Voigt during inauguration week and uh, we had a great, you know, discussion with him and he, the person who introduced us said, oh, this is Dan, Dan worked at CIA and John Voigt looked at me, he's got a lot of presence and he said, you know, thank you for your service or something like that. I said, you know, I'm okay. But you got to talk to my wife because your Mission Impossible disguises were pretty good. But frankly, my wife's were better. You know, she worked at CIA and that's what she did. And that's how we met. And uh, they went off and chatted for, you know, 10 minutes together. But uh, <laughs> that's what she used to do. She she could make you, Sarah, look like anybody. And and same with me. Um, but it's so awesome. It's awesome. And it was completely by chance you know, that uh, she was the, the disguise technician who, who kidded me up, you know, before I went to Russia. And uh, at my retirement ceremony, I Can told I her. Ask like, what, what, did you, what did you look like? Can you give me just a little bit of a description of what, what she did to your face? So she did a lot of different things. So, so what she did was she came out and she looked at me and she talked about the different things that she could do. Some of them are like what you see in the Bourne, you know, the Bourne yeah. supremacy and those other movies. Uh, quick change disguises that, you know, you might put a hat on with some hair in the back or glasses, things that you could do quickly. And and other things are live-in disguises where you change your appearance for the long run. And, and those are things that are not super hard to do either. And sometimes they're masks that look like Mission Impossible or the Americans. But again, frankly, what we used was That's better. Great. Now, the Americans is pretty good, but I would say we're even better than the Americans. So, wow. you know, a little bit of that Houdini and a little bit of... Um, when we're, you know, doing brush passes in the streets of Moscow, passing something to a source or the source passes something to us and a little bit of Hollywood where you're trying to make people up to look a little different than they do. The only things that are hard to change are, you know, your height. You can change somebody's weight um, by giving them, you know, uh, extra, extra padding in their midsection. Yeah. Um, and if a woman is tall, you know, she could look like a boy. And if a boy is short, he could look like a girl. I've seen both. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty fun. And I will tell you, during these these trying times, I mean, I remember master of disguise. It's 100 percent it, it, right what you said about coming together as families and friends. You know, I was in Boston in 1978 during a massive blizzard. We were home for two weeks without power. And all I did was shovel uh, and hang out with my family. But we we reveled in those times together and, and we, we did a lot of talking about what matters, you know, and, and, uh, and I think that matters. Look, it, people can have, there's a lot of things that we can do together. Some people are, are religious and they want to pray together and other people just want to remember family times, look through the old, you know, 
uh, scrapbooks together and, and uh, in our case, homeschool your kids. I'm sure you're doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, you I know, have so much appreciation for her teacher. I'm just going to do a shout out for yeah, all teachers too. out there and medical professionals because right on are now my superheroes. I, <laughs> I no, mean, it's incredible how much homework. Anymore. I mean, we're our teacher. One of them was online with my older son today. Um, they're just I mean, what they they've been able to do using technology. Look, this is the best of times and the worst of times all wrapped up into one. And I feel like for me, at least, and I don't want to be presumptuous about what other people are going through. Everybody's got their own challenges uh, in this. But uh, I'm just trying to grab whatever I can that's the good of this, you know, um, and that's all we're going to get through it. And, and you know, year two years from now we'll look back with a little bit of time and distance you and i maybe we'll do a retrospective about what we learned when we're not in the moment right. uh, and that'll be good and, and that'll be okay for all of us you know that's a good thing yeah, to do well, you know dan i i love you i love your family right back let's at you. stay safe you and too. Stay let healthy. You know how much i appreciate uh, her letting me take you for this, you know, 30 minutes um, on on our YouTube here at the Sarah Carter Show. You're a great friend. Uh, I will be praying for you. I think about you all often, and uh, I'll be talking with you shortly. All right. So take thank care. You so much Stay for healthy. Yeah, you too. Thank Bye. you. Okay. There she is, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. It is the Sarah Carter Show. Go ahead, Sarah. Hi, you guys are great. This is this is so new to us, so we're figuring out all the glitches here. Um, for some reason, I ended up off the show. I ended up hanging. Well, up. so I have to oh, kick oh. you off so that I could hang up on our wonderful guest there, and then I went to call you right back. So yeah, it is a little bit new here. We've got a bunch of new things. If you see, we've got a scroll that you can have your name on. If anybody wants to put their name on the scroll down below, you certainly can. You can support us at our Patreon page, so feel free to do that. We've got our call-in line. We can take some calls, Sarah, if you want. We've got messages there if you want. Like we can do whatever you oh, want. Yeah, now. let's do it. Let's let's take a call. Let's. Do a message. All right. I'll do all of that. So what I'm going to do is go ahead and open up the call lines. So they are officially open. If you've been trying to get in, you've been leaving us voicemails. We can play those on the air, too. But 571-354-7338. Go ahead and call us right now, and we'll get you on the air. While we're doing that, I have a bunch of messages for you, Sarah. Um, hey. Carol Lawson, Carol Lawson wants to know, is it true that most cases in Italy are amongst the Chinese that are there? No, I haven't heard that, uh, and I don't. I don't think that's accurate, uh, Carol. I what I have heard, and I did speak yesterday to a man, a gentleman by the name of Mirko, who is in charge of uh, coronavirus response. In he's a council member, governor of uh, Trento, uh, near uh, Lombardy Ooh. province, which what? has been the most affected. And actually what's happened right now is that the, the caseloads of people that have been infected are mainly the elderly, a lot of uh, people with underlying conditions, he said, uh, but it's actually been uh, horrific for, for the Italian people, particularly in that area, in that province of Lombardy. We do know that the Chinese do have a large stronghold in Italy, uh, particularly when they brought so many people from China for manufacturing into Italy, there's a lot of issues there. Um, right now, there's concern that the Chinese government and the Russians are making their way into Italy now and offering assistance uh, just because the Italians felt that they had been abandoned by the European Union. But as far as those that have been infected, I'll look into this a little bit further. Uh, but what I have heard, and this is directly from Italy, a friend of mine, Roberto, who's there, another man that I spoke to yesterday uh, from near Lombardy, the majority of cases have been the elderly, people with underlying conditions. Sarah, we've got a call. That's, question. that's perfect. We've got a call on the line. Caller, who are you? Where are you from? And what would you like to say to Sarah? I can't hear them. <laughs> Caller, go ahead. Where? Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, hi, my name is Felix. Can you hear me now? Yep, go right ahead. What are you I can hear you. Hi, Felix. Excellent. Hey, Sarah, it's great to talk to you. I appreciate uh, all your contributions in this area. Uh, and uh, certainly enjoy seeing you on uh, Hannity's show on a regular basis. So thank you. Well, thank um, you so much. I did, I did have a question for you and wanted to get your thoughts. 
uh, something that's kind of been, it's been out there, but it's been a little hard to keep track of because of all of the coronavirus um, conversation. And that's been this consistent drip, drip, drip of arrest of uh, persons involved in university research in America who appear to have been taking funds um, from Chinese uh, universities or grant programs or those types of things, really large quantities of money, uh, getting those funds uh, and not reporting it to the federal government. And that's why they're getting in so much trouble with the Department of Justice right now. But it seems like when you look at their their pedigree, a lot of them are chemical and biological researchers uh, who have some, you know, some issues there. And, and one of them directly to the Technology University in Wuhan. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on are these things related? Uh, is there some chance that those things are coincidental but related to what we're talking about here? I got to tell you, Felix, I think you brought up just such an important, and I hope I hope I'm remembering your name correctly, Felix, uh, but such an important question, and, and many questions are actually wrapped up into there. This is a concern. I've had this concern for years. Even when I was at the Washington Times, I had sources that were talking about this, um, that we have people within our university apparatus, people with access to biological and chemical uh, compounds that uh, are connected to overseas, to nations that are threats to our country, and also the fact that a lot of these grants have come to some of these universities, and what is that connection and why didn't they report it? Uh, does it have any connection to the Wuhan virus right now? I have no idea. I know this is something that probably our intelligence apparatus, like Daniel Hoffman, um, people like him who are working now at the CIA and working in other levels of our intelligence community are looking at. They want to know about this virus. They need to understand it more. Uh, we don't have any answers. And for people out there who, you know, I remember when Senator Tom Cotton questioned the fact that, you know, there's a Wuhan laboratory, um, that there is a possibility that maybe the virus escaped from there. That's not a conspiracy theory, by the way. That's something that's very plausible that could have happened. We just don't have the answers. We do not know where this virus emanated from. And as far as people taking grants, we've seen this with China. We've seen this with Saudi Arabia. We've seen this uh, across the board with some of our universities taking large sums of money from Qatar, from other places around the world, where the fear is, is that these nation states, these and some of them enemy states, right, have influenced our university systems have kind of embedded themselves in there. So even if these universities, of course, are not dealing with biological, uh, uh, the virus itself or the chemicals that could actually, if they're not distributing them, I'm just gonna put it that way. The fact is, is that they can be influenced by these countries. And we also don't know, uh, for example, we've seen this in the past where these countries have actually infiltrated with spies in our system. So we have to be very careful about this. We have to be very uh, wise about how we approach these situations. And I think now that we've seen what's happened with China, in particular, the fact that the majority of our of our antibiotics, the majority of our pain medications, our ventilators, our medical equipment, uh, our masks, particularly our masks, uh, are made in China, and that is a national security risk for us here in the United States. So it's a great question. I will look into it more. It's something that I think we should be investigating more and uh, looking at, and I will be contacting the Department of Justice about that and see where they're at on those cases. Thanks for the question. Thanks for calling. Great job, Sarah. I got one more message for you, if you can handle it. It's Al Dunlop, and he says, thanks for all you do, Sarah. Best wishes from a very chilly Scotland. Oh, I love it. Scotland, yes. I have family from Scotland. At least that's what my Ancestry.com uh, DNA test said. A lot of, a lot of uh, Northern European and Scottish and Irish, so... Uh, Hello in Scotland. Thank you so much for watching us. And again, thank you so much. We're in this together. 
as you can see, there's people all over the world in the same position we're in. We're trying to understand this. And the most important thing is that we get these questions answered. We are a nation. We are a world of people with common sense. And I trust in people's decisions. I trust in what people can do when they're informed correctly. And uh, that's what I'll attempt to keep doing. Again, thank you for being here at the Sarah Carter Show. Please see our stories at sarahacarter.com. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. Please follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. And as for our podcast, leave us a five-star rating. Let, let us know what you think and let me know what stories you want to investigate. I will help you investigate them. We're in this together, folks. Remember, I'm right here at home, just like you hunkered down. Thank you so much for being with me. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.